Hey friends, this is the Finding Mikey podcast, our family's quest to prepare our son Mikey for life. I'm Mike, and from time to time, I'll be joined by my wife, Heather, or other family members and others for interviews and conversations. Now, while I may mention our son, you have a Mikey of your own, and together, we're on a journey to learn as much as we can so that we can understand how to best communicate and guide our kiddos into independent adulthood. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Well, today I have a very special interview. Um, this is Dr. Ed Carlton coming up here in a moment. He is our doctor. Heather goes to him for chiropractic care. Mikey goes to him for neurofeedback training. And I just started and have had two sessions with him of my own for neurofeedback training. He treats children and adults to improve their performance and relieve symptoms from uh, brain-based disorders. He's a certified neurofeedback provider, and he's a member of the International Society of Neurofeedback and Research. He graduated from the Texas Chiropractic College and is also a graduate of the University of Texas at Austin. Hook him horns. Well, I didn't know we had that connection at all, and it's been a while since he's been there, but it was pretty neat to bond with him recently, too. He's the author of the book, The Answer, the book for anyone with ADD, ADHD, anxiety, depression, insomnia, autism, bipolar disorder, epilepsy, PTSD, or traumatic brain injury. And you can get that for free by going to www.findingmikey.com slash the answer. That's findingmikey.com slash the answer. All one word, all lowercase is fine. So I want to welcome you guys to the show and thank you so much, Dr. Carlton, for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's jump right in. Um, in potato head language, uh, that's my my term for um, make it easy for me to get, or if I had to tell my grandma what, what is neurofeedback. <laughs> in potato head language, what is neurofeedback training? Well, simply put, um, it's exercise for the brain. That being said, you know, most people have ridden a bike before, learned how to ride a bike, right? So they're familiar with what operant conditioning is, but they don't know what the term is. What people don't realize is the human brain learns every day. We used to think that neuroplasticity disappeared after a certain age. But last 10 years or so, new modern imaging techniques and a lot of studies have shown that neuroplasticity exists all the way up to the point of death. My oldest patient so far has been 94. Wow. So, yeah, that's kind of cool, right? So, um, what neurofeedback training is, is first of all, you come into our office and we do what's called a brain map. Now, that's uh, technically quantitative electroencephalogram. Big fancy term, but the easiest thing to think about is just like a Google map of your brain. Just like you can go on Google Maps and find out where the traffic is heavy or where it's not, where there's an accident, where there's uh, no cars, you know, traffic is slowing free. No one's surprised when they go on Google and find that, right? It's right, pretty right. common. Well, the neat thing is with today's imaging and measuring tools, we can actually measure how someone's brain is working in real time. Now, the human brain is kind of neat. It, uh, it's actually an electrochemical generator of electricity. The average person's head generates about 30 watts of power. So you're walking around with a little power plant between your ears, you know? Most people don't know that, but that's pretty much how it works. Some people generate more output, I'm sure. Well, yeah, some more, <laughs> some less. And it really, it, it really is true. But the neat thing is about this, the average is 30, right? So with that information at hand, it doesn't take much imagination to say, okay, if it's got electrical current in there, we should be able to measure that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly what we do with a brain map. We put on what looks like a shower cap. It's got a bunch of electrical sensors on it. Um, we don't, there's no electrocution going on. There's nothing going in. We're simply measuring. So 
Once we hook it up to the person's scalp so that we uh, can measure what's going on, we've got into the computer and we can measure in real time how the brain is working. Now for the patient, it's a simple process. You sit back, relax, comfortable room. We put, like I said, put the shower cap on your head and you sit quietly in our office for about 15 minutes. We record in our office six minutes of data with your eyes open and six minutes with the eyes closed. You can do more, you can do less, but six is average, uh, depending on the type of brain map I'm after. You can do a little more extensive, depending on if I think someone has serious brain trauma and such, I might do something a little more. But the average is, is uh, about a 15-minute examination. Once we've done that, we can actually we put it into a computer program. And this is where my engineering from the University of Texas, you mentioned, comes in. That We use something called the Plasian Transforms. It's a uh, statistical analysis program. You compare what uh, one, your, like for example, your brain map. We would compare your brain map against a very large database with other people's brain maps in them. In there, we know what, is, what normal looks like, right? Right. So the neat thing is you have, because the first uh, brain map or AEG was done back in 1924, we've literally got hundreds of millions of these things to compare stuff against. So you really have a very uh, good quality database to determine whether or not someone, if their brain waves are out of balance as compared to a statistical norm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So you come in, sit down, you get your brain map. Okay, that's great. Now, once the map is done, I compare that, uh, as, we, as you may have seen uh, with Mikey, if a person comes to my office, I do a psychometric exam. And if someone is listening to this podcast and they're living elsewhere, most neurofeedback providers do something similar. Every office is a little different, but they're going to do an examination and take up some form. So in my office, we use a psychometric exam. And with that information filled out, I can tell, for example, for you guys, I knew what was going on with, with, with your son, right? We had an idea is on the spectrum, right? So we're, we're concerned with uh, communication skills and some other stuff. Well... I then do a brain map, and we compare the brain map findings to the effect on the human, on the person's actual life. Our feedback. Uh, pardon? Yes, without feedback. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. so that what we get is a, ba- we get a, a, a baseline, right? So here you are now. You've got, for example, you suffer with an anxiety. And on your form you filled out, you have anxiety. You have problems with uh, run-on thoughts. You have uh, depression, uh, and you have problems with memory loss. Okay. We know which parts of the brain that are responsible for those different functions. Well, with a brain map, I can check to see if those areas of the brain are actually having brainwave irregularities. If so, that's a high level of correlation between how it's affecting a person's life and what the map itself shows. Now, the value of that is just like, for example, if you were to get a rotator cuff tear in your shoulder. You go, you get an MRI, and your shoulder hurts, and you get no findings. That's not good because you're still in pain, but now you don't know why. Right. Much better if you go in, you do an MRI, and it says, here's your tear. It's not bad enough for surgery. Do some PT, you know, whatever. But if you find it, you can fix it. Same thing's true here. If I get a high level of correlation between what the person is experiencing and what I'm measuring, then I know I'm on the right track to giving them some help. Got it. Okay. So then we're talking about electricity to a to a degree right um that's exactly what we're talking about Uh uh-huh we're measuring electrical output right so then what does it take then to kind of write the ship right if we've got if we stay with the google maps analogy right how do we 
how do we get rid of that slowdown on the 66 or right. how do we av- avoid the traffic because of, of whatever? What What's the kind of treatment from that point on? Fair question. So now you have your own personal map, right? So that also tells me where it's going too fast. That will be, you know, like a traffic jam. Where right. it's going too slow. Okay, this is the speed limit's way down. You're, not, you're just not flowing properly. And in some cases where the communication is just highly jammed, there's too much going on. Well, with that information, uh, the person sits down, you relax, and you, uh, I don't know if you've sat in on Mikey's sessions, but you sit, relax, and in our office, we use videos as the input. Yes. Some offices use video games. Both work. I prefer videos because I have a lot of adult patients as well as the kids, and I, I find it more effective. So you sit back, relax, and you watch the video. Well, while you're watching the video, we have sensors uh, attached to the scalp. Well, those sensors, again, we're not putting anything in. I want to make this clear, okay? Right. We're measuring. So while you're watching the, the movie, where we've got a, a couple clips attached to your ears and some sensors on the scalp, and we're actually completing a, an electrical measurement circuit across the scalp. So we're measuring in real-time brainwave output. While you're watching the movie or the video for the kids, it's a cartoon, whatever, the brain will do what it normally does. Like even right now, while you and I are having this conversation or when someone else is this, listening to this podcast, if they suffer with anxiety, their brain is speeding up while they're watching it. Or depression, it slows down while they're, while they're listening to what we're talking about, right? right. The same thing happens when you watch a TV show. If you have challenges with a brain-based disorder, it doesn't turn off simply because you're watching, you know, some kind of a movie. It'd be nice if it did, but it doesn't. So you're sitting there relaxing. Your brain speeds up. You start worrying about something, and suddenly the movie goes dim, and the sound goes down. Well, what it does is it brings your brain back to focus on the movie, and your brain slows back down, and the worrying stops. So this literally happens during a normal session. A normal session is 30 minutes long, but typically happens literally hundreds of times a minute. So just like riding a bicycle, you first got on it, you're wobbly, you keep falling right or left, maybe you had to use training wheels until you got your balance. Same thing's true for the human brain. Initially, when people train, the video goes in and out of focus quite a bit because their brain is constantly pushing the limits. Over time, it learns to stay within the lines that I've set for the brain to work. So what that means is over time, the brain stops cycling up the fast, 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 Beta brain waves that are creating anxiety start to, they don't occur any longer. Right. The really slow, slow, slow alpha brain waves over here, the excessive ones on the left side that may be causing depression, those get more balanced. All of a sudden, the brain is functioning in a much more efficient manner. So the, the, the key to this is not only does this happen during the session, but just like learning how to ride a, ride a bike, once you learn it, the brain continues to apply these new pathways, if you will. It uses the new process once you leave the office. And over time, that becomes the norm. Over time, your brain learns to stay within those limits so that instead of suffering with anxiety on a regular basis, you now have a brain that works normally and efficiently, and you don't exhibit those kinds of problems or you don't experience panic attacks any longer because the brain's no longer out of range in those areas. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, um, I mean, we've already started to see some, I guess, results. I mean, just some changes in Mikey. I guess results may be the wrong word for it, but no, it's um, the right term. But okay. So, so we've been seeing well changes, results, whatever in in Mikey, and I'm pretty sure that it 
you know, sort of the results start at a certain place and can kind of progress through to another place, depending on whether it's a child with autism or an adult with anxiety or a preteen with depression. But um, if we could focus in on autism for just a minute, what sort of things do you see that start to happen first? And then kind of long-term, what sort of results and changes do you see in a, in a child with autism, you know, during this type of training and then afterwards? Well, the first thing patients notice, and the caregiver will usually tell me, although I can see it and my staff observes it as well, is uh, the children become calmer. They just typically, if they're hyperactive, which many of them are, they become overall calmer. If they are uh, on the depressed side, they start to becoming more interactive. And it's basically the same thing that's happening. The, the communication inside the brain is starting to open up. As we balance the brain waves, their ability to communicate with the outside world starts to improve. And what you see as a parent or what someone experiences if they're caring for a, an older sibling or something is, okay, now I can actually speak to, uh, in your case, Mikey. You can speak sure. to Mikey, and Mikey hears better. All of a sudden, well, I said it, and now he's actually listening. He actually right. understood that. Well, the truth of the matter is he got it before, but because the brain was working too fast or too slow, depending on which, which part you're talking about, he didn't hear or understand clearly what it is you were trying to tell him to do or ask him to, you know, to, to take care of. Sure. sure enough, all of a sudden, the communication starts to go through, so they start interacting more. And the neat thing is because it's fun to have, you know, everybody likes success, right? So these kids start to interact more. And then all of a sudden, you find that they're starting to learn more because they're more able to. Lack of intelligence is not typically the problem with autism, as I'm sure you're aware of, Mikey. Yep. The challenge isn't that. The challenge is communicating from the outside world in a manner that they understand. So when it comes back the other way, we understand what they're saying or what they're trying to tell us. Right. Because the social cues kind of are ignored, right? When exactly. we talk to Mikey, you know, when we talk to Mikey, he's rarely giving us eye contact. And if we request it, you know, he'll give it to us from time to time, but it's pretty, it's broken pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Um, I've noticed that, you know, you're absolutely right. And to give a little testimony on sort of Mikey's progress here too, is that two things that, that we have noticed around the house is that I can give him a few things, you know, a, a couple of things in succession. Like, Mikey, you need to pick up your backpack and put it over near the, you know, you need to put it where it belongs and then you need to put your shoes in the closet as well. And he may not look at me, but if I ask for his confirmation that he got it, he's like, okay, dad, I got it. And then he'll get up and do it, which before would kind of take almost a physical look at me. I need you to do this one thing, right? So that's one area there is that he seems more plugged in. Not that he couldn't hear us before, but now it's it's almost like Heather and I have to be careful what we say <laughs> because right. we can't kind of keep it in confidence because he's now, I don't know, maybe he's he's getting more of it. Anyway, that's one thing. The communication is opening. It's becoming clearer. I think so, yes. He got, he got it before, but what you're observing is exactly correct. As I said, because the communication gets more open, now all of a sudden you're like, oh, I said this before and he didn't get it. Now I said it. Not only does he get it, but he remembers it. Yep. Yep. But now your challenge there, and I see this with some of my autistic <laughs> kids, is they're very literal. <laughs> Correct. Well, yeah, and I think that's yeah. that's a that's a signal of of Mikey's like Asperger's portion of this. It's mm -hmm. really that's a whole other you know kind of thing that we can talk about because I, you know, we had my mom and and stepdad here um, a few weeks ago, and you know she's you know you cannot really be sarcastic with Mikey. No, <laughs> he, he just doesn't get it. it. 
And, you know, he was talking about coming out of church one day. He's like, dad, how can we give God our heart? Like, won't we die? Like very literal. Yeah. So it's, it's neat. Um, but you have to be mindful of your language. The other one before I forget is, is that we've noticed that it's a bit easier to interrupt a, a tantrum or a, just sort of a fit that he's going to have. Like he's, he's able to sort of reason his way out of it if we can get him to communicate, to talk. Right. So that does, that does help a lot because meltdowns suck, you know, (laughs) they suck for him too, by the way. I know, I know. And what's, what's interesting about this is you were describing this and I think it just takes a few times of me hearing it or reading it or things like this, or maybe, you know, I just have to have whatever, for whatever reason, as you were describing it earlier, you know, that the mind doesn't, shut off for him. Like he's always some distance away from a meltdown, depending on some external stimuli. Right. Yep. But you don't have to, to like help him with better communications or help him with a meltdown. For example, you don't have to piss him off till he melts down to treat it. No. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's great because we haven't had to traumatize him to make him feel better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, one of the biggest challenges I get people, uh, People are starting to find out I'm, I'm there, right? So I'm starting to get referrals from therapists. And the challenge with therapy is not that it's not highly effective, because it, it is. It can be very much so. But you have to, first of all, verbalize what's bothering you. Second of all, if you have trauma, you have to revisit that trauma. Right. And then you have to, using if you're using cognitive behavioral therapy, they give you tools on how to cope. If you're using uh, something called EMDR, which is, uh, has to do with eye movements, mm-hmm. you still have to revisit that trauma. And the whole idea is you're trying to make the brain less reactive. Right. Very powerful stuff, but it can be exhausting. And unfortunately, depending on the trauma, it can take years to work through. The neat thing about and someone like your son, he doesn't have that kind of trauma to talk about. So you can send him to talk therapy. He's like, I have no idea why I'm here. Because I've got loving parents and no one abused me and I haven't suffered this horrific thing that happened to, for example, a a boy I was treating, training because of uh, he'd been sexually molested. The heat that young man had some, you know, was sent to me by a therapist. So therapy made sense in his case. But for an autistic child who's never suffered with that, therapy is much less effective simply because your biggest problem is communication in the first place. Right. So how do you communicate? to provide tools when they don't understand what the problem is in the first place. They can't visit trauma they don't understand. And in a case like this, they don't have to understand what the process is. As you know with Mikey, we just got to find something he enjoys watching on TV. Right. And let him sit back and watch the TV show. He, yeah. he wins. <laughs> he's happy because you can't do it wrong. Nobody yells at him. He's, he's in a comfortable, quiet place. And it's a half an hour for him of relaxation and enjoyment. Like, yeah, it's yep. pretty cool. And what you're seeing is the effects on the brain over time, making other things getting easier and easier as his brain uh, becomes more efficient and calmer and easier to work with. Right. So what what would, um, you know, other parents or caregivers of, of children with autism, you know, expect to see? I guess we've started sort of, this seems to be kind of the, f- the first signs of results, right, is where right. communication becomes easier. But what other awesome things do I get to look forward to? <laughs> well, as uh, it, again, it depends on the where they are on the spectrum, to be quite honest. Yeah. Uh, but I have seen um, 
the youngsters get to the point where you have a difficult time determining whether or not they actually belong on the spectrum any longer because their ability to communicate improves well enough and they're intelligent enough that with the additional coping skills that are provided by the people around them, whether it's parents or whether it's uh, educators or therapists or whatever, very often they can get to the point where they're functioning really very well. Uh, if there's an individual who has you know, higher on the spectrum as far as, okay, they have more dysfunction, you can't expect possibly that level of, of autonomy. But for someone like Mikey, you can expect uh, continued improvement with his communication, fewer and fewer meltdowns because the meltdowns to some degree are due to frustration. Yep. As he becomes less frustrated, less meltdowns. And that's a cumulative effect as well. Simply because now you stop having meltdowns, it stops being the go-to mechanism. And that stops happening, and all of a sudden, the, the more complex tasks and the more complex learning starts to be something you can actually contemplate because he doesn't get frustrated at the drop of a hat. Right. So then all of a sudden, you can start teaching him more stuff rather than just the simple things. You can step up the level a little bit, and he actually gets it because it does take a little work, right? Right, if it does. They're, if you're already frustrated because they can't even figure out how to, you know, get their bag off their shoulder and take it across the room because they didn't understand what that meant. They're certainly not going to sit down and do a math problem with you. Right. But if they got that and that's easy and they're no longer melting down, they're like, oh, you want to do this? Hmm. Okay. Well, maybe I can think about doing that. And that's what I've noticed with my other patients. As the communication improves, their ability to learn and what they can learn continues to improve uh, steadily. So awesome. I, I think that's a reasonable expectation for Mikey. Yeah. So I don't, I don't recall the exact path that we took that, you know, ultimately led us to you and to neurofeedback training. But why do you think this isn't a more common treatment like option? Like, for example, I think maybe I'm more aware of where chiropractors are because I've been treated by a chiropractor since, I don't know, I was probably eight or nine when my mother started working for a chiropractor. So it was, it was in my life, but like to sort of, I feel like we kind of stumbled into neurofeedback training. Why, why do you think that it might be not as? Well, that's the, not to get too, you know, right wing on anybody. It's, it's politics, <laughs> politics and money, to be quite honest. Okay. Um, there are 1,800 certified neurofeedback providers in the United States. At last check, there was over three quarters of a million medical doctors. Got it. Okay. Uh, let me see. Uh, someone like someone like myself. I can use myself for an example. If I had, I've got undergone probably a hundred sessions of neurofeedback in the last two years. I got off my medications after forty of them. Okay, forty sessions. Yeah. Cost of my offices, you know, is a hundred dollars, right? So let's just say four thousand dollars, and let's just run the number up. Let's say you to get better, you had to do a full hundred, which was not necessary. I'd like to point that out. Okay. Yeah. Yep. But uh, around the number, six grand. Okay, for $6,000, I can take someone who suffered for a lifetime, which I did, and remove 90% of their symptoms. I sleep six hours a night on average. I used to use 20 milligrams of Ambien every night to sleep two to five. I sleep six on average without any help. Okay, that's just one piece. Mm -hmm. I no longer take uh, medications for anxiety or man or uh, depression or any of that stuff. So six grand, right? Well, let me see. I was on medications. I think I sat down and figured out off and on because, like most bipolar people, I got off when I wasn't supposed to. Right. <laughs> right. It made everybody around me very unhappy. I like to point out. <laughs> 
But over the 22 years I was on it off and on, I think somewhere around $480,000. Wow. That's just for the medications. I was hospitalized twice for uh, panic attacks. And I don't, that doesn't, that doesn't include the cost for the psychiatric visits. The I'm just talking. I just medical, my, medicine. My, my copay alone was about 60 yeah. grand over 20 years, 60 or 70 for the medications. Goodness gracious. So there you go. Six grand, $480,000. Oh yeah, I'm fixed. So the next 25 years, no more meds, no more $480,000. You know, I'm a million, yeah. million and a half case. Let me think, yeah. $6,000. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you, and I don't. I don't know what the actual saying is. Maybe you've you've you know it, but I think you've we've all heard it that yeah. follow the money. You know, well, following the money, but you know, it's that the the medical industry isn't. It's it's for pain management, not you know curing. Well, the truth so, of the matter is, uh, our current the way it's set up now is we manage uh, illness unto death. The whole idea is you get on you you your standard. Okay, you're sixty. Here's your high blood pressure medication. Okay, you're 64. Well, you know, you develop diabetes now, so here you go. Right. Well, now you also have this, so here's this. Oh, you're having problems because of the blood pressure medication? Well, good. We'll give you this so you can, you know, get the erection now because you need this because you're taking that. Right. Oh, now you're having problems with your memory. Oh, because why is that? Because we put you on statins 15 <laughs> years ago, and it wiped out the CoQ10 in your liver, and now you're, you're having memory issues. Well, okay, that's a whole new bag of bricks. I mean, my, my dad, before he died, was on, I saw it, 19 medications. Wow. I'm like, oh my God. It's just it's ridiculous. And he died at the age of 86 with Alzheimer's. I wow. Could, I, I could not get him off the statins. He would not believe me. And sure enough, he died the last two years. He never knew who I was or anyone else for that matter. So it's a matter of philosophy as much as anything else. The belief that you can fix anything with a medication. And in my opinion, if anybody thinks about it, the drugs really don't cure anything. The body does. All the drug is designed to do, hopefully, is an emergency fix if you're in a real problem. You know, let's face it, if you broke your arm having it cast properly, beats the heck out of the old days, right? Just kind of. Right. And if you have an infection, certainly antibiotics serve a great purpose. I mean, I'm not standing here saying don't get vaccinated and stuff like that. That's not, I'm not that kind of reactionary. That's not the point. The question is, why don't you hear more about it? And unfortunately, I think a lot of it just has to do with money. Uh, there's there's no ongoing, once people are better, they're better. Yep. And you can't continue to drive the, the machine if you were to do that. Sure. There's no side effects to treat when you're None. better. And a lot of the, in a lot of cases here, it's like, you know, there's, there's side effects for all of these drugs that they need to be treated with more drugs and yeah. side effects and so on and so forth. And That's just, how you quickly get to 19. It just keeps going. It's like, yeah. yep. Okay. And now, and people are spending, you know, a fourth of their income on medications and, and insurance. And it's just so unfortunately, but I, you know, I, I don't have any uh, solid proof of that, but just my opinion. I think yep. that's a lot of it. You know? Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it is interesting. I mean, I guess when you have a multi-billion dollar industry that, you know, for Cialis and Viagra and things yeah. like this, you're going to see commercials all the time, but there isn't, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry for, you know, neurofeedback nope. training. And I guess, therefore, you know, you're not going to see an ad on Super no. Bowl Sunday. Oh, no. You, so. you, yeah. You, to compete with them at that level is prohibitive. Can't do it. They don't. They have way more funding and resources and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, to give you an example of the difference in the size, 
Chiropractic, I think, is a $12 or $13 billion a year industry. Vioxx, which they, I believe was they took off the market a couple years ago due to lawsuits, right? The company that did it, I can't remember the name of it, set aside for lawsuits $12 billion. Holy crap. It made no difference to their stock price at all. Zero. None. <laughs> like, that, and that was one drug. One drug. Just one drug. And just the lawsuits for the one drug, they just set aside, eh, we, it's probably going to cost us this much. Yeah, and that's no, the entire no, chiropractic industry. Yeah, that's our, that's our entire thing in a year. I'm like, oh, come on. It's just the order of magnitude is so dramatic that there's just, you know, it's a significant uphill battle, which is why I appreciate someone like yourself taking the time to talk with me and maybe getting the word out to some people. Well, and our, our philosophy, and I think, you know, our listeners have heard this before, too, is that, A, you know, if it, you know, isn't going to, you know, hurt us, right? Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it's not going to put the kids in danger, that kind of thing, or put us in danger. And, you know, there are some upsides, you know, to this. We're going to, we're going to give it a try, right? So, you know, we've changed Mikey's diet and thus our diets here as well. And we've become aware of just, you know, by eliminating things for him, it started to help him or supplementing mm -hmm. him with things started to help him as well. So we're like, those are, those are those types of things. We're less likely to want to put, you know, lithium in his body to help regulate his brain or, you know, any other, anything that would be psychotropic or speed related into his body because he's a fragile six-year-old person who isn't making wise choices now. Why would I dope him up? Right. So that's kind of our, kind of our philosophy and we'll, we'll explore as much as we can. And, you know, to put not too fine a point on it too, is like, I'm compensated well at work. We have insurance here as well. You know, it's a it's a stretch to have certain therapies and things like this for Mikey. Like back in Texas, we had him at a private school where it was an intense occupational therapy-based, ABA-based school, and it was great for him. It really brought him around um, as well. I mean, but it wasn't inexpensive. And neurofeedback training isn't, you have to consider that. And you have to budget for it. And you Absolutely. have to make it happen too. But you know, we're, we're seeing some things right now that, you know, you and I have spoken and, you know, it's no surprise, you know, that both Heather and I are like, you know what, maybe, maybe we should, we should get in there too and get our brain mapped and see, you know, where we could start to, mm -hmm. you know, unclutter our Google map. And, you know, we're looking at grace as well. And, you know, as a nine-year-old um, person there too, there's some things that, you know, that she's exhibiting that, you know, look a lot like the things that I've exhibited, you know, right. just quick to react Irish temper, you know? <laughs> so the tendency for these runs in families and along yeah. the note of uh, finances and such, not all neurofeedback providers have the wherewithal. I offer free financing to everybody. You know, mm -hmm. not a lot of providers do that because it's costly for the provider to do, but yeah. it's a risk do, too. But I do offer it. For, so my goal is to try to help as many folks as I can manage. I do need to get paid, but I try to make it so people can't afford it. So before anyone listening to this decides they simply can't afford it, just make, I'd like to make clear that we do offer monthly payments for anyone. So sure, sure. That should not don't let that stop. Somebody should listen to this and check out if they're not here. Call around and see if they can find somebody and give them that kind of help if they need it. Sure, and I'll, I'll try to sum this one up here too. And and I hope my son Jordan, sorry in the future if you listen to this. I won't make you feel bad, I hope. Um, but, you know, he's he's receiving some treatment right now to the tune of, you know, tens of thousands plus per month. And, you know, without insurance, it just it wouldn't be possible. And looking at it mathematically, I'm like, if I if I were to put aside four or five, six thousand dollars, 
versus having to co-pay four or five or six thousand dollars on something that is you know hasn't proven to be effective for him over the past four months or with other people you know going to rehab for example a lot of people go back and and you know i'm i'm willing to to look at it you know from a financial perspective and just see well all right it is a stretch but let's see what we can do to make it happen because i think that investment is like at mikey's age you know as much as we can help him now the more that's going to help him down the road oh absolutely you know, and at Jordan's age, he's 20 now, as much as he can get benefit now, the better he's going to be down the road. And even with me, you know, being 43, if I can find ways to get out of my own way and get out of my own head and get some things sorted out as well, right? Without having to, you know, whatever, I was I was going to go, you know, to like talk therapy and things like this, which I've done too, right? But, you know, if I can get some stress and anxiety relieved as well, what can that do for me over the remaining years of my life too? You know, hopefully the next 60 years, I want to live to be 103. Um, So, you know, I think it's, it is a stretch for a lot of families, but I think it can be worth it a lot. So, so in kids now, I mean, you're a great example of the results for an adult. Can you take me back to when you started? How old were you when you began, you know, neurofeedback training? Uh, Just two years ago. I was 58. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And um, so of, of the adults that you've treated as well, I mean, I, I've, been, I've been reading through the book, right? Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of stories that you've brought out there, and I can't remember anybody's names, well, the names that were, were in there. Different. Obviously, the names were not my patients. Uh, we of course. all the names, obviously. But um, as far as your question is, examples for adults, is that what you're looking yeah. for? Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, like I think, that. although many of us may not be battling, you know, Autism, maybe we are, maybe we are, you know, dealing with one of the more common things I see is would be anxiety. I see that a lot of that. Uh, Let me think. One of the easiest ones I can think of comes to mind. I had a lady come in and she is, uh, it's been a year since I've seen her. At that time, she was in her late 30s. Three children started developing significant anxiety about three and a half years prior to coming to my office, had gotten to the point where she was no longer even leaving the house. And she, uh, prior to this, she was working outside the home, brought in a pretty decent income. She was professionally trained, had a degree, all that kind of stuff. But the anxiety finally drove her down to the point, despite medications. And when I saw her first, she was on three different medications, one of which is uh, it's called benzodiazepine, Xanax, Ativan, highly addictive, really difficult medications to, to uh, monitor and control. Anyway, uh, when she came to my office, she was still so bad, despite all the medicines that her uh, husband drove her first and her sister, I think, drove her for the first sessions. But after about 10 sessions or so, she actually managed to start driving herself. And by the time we were done, she took 40 sessions. Uh, We did it. And just so you'll know, after 20 sessions, we do a second map and it showed significant improvement. I can measure it, which is kind of cool. But the neat thing is whether I measured it or not, we could tell, she could tell how much better she felt. with the new map, we do new protocols, right? So we do new protocols for the last 20. And when I last saw her, she was off all of her medications for all psychotropic medications. She was off. She had remained at the time. She was on, uh, I think it was Nexium. That's the one for gastric challenges, right? Uh-huh. But she was That was much yeah. reduced as well. And she was in the process of get, eliminating that one as well. So when she was done, she was off all the psychotropic meds driving herself, and 
was contemplating a return to the workforce because her kids were a little older. And I says, okay, I'm done with all this. I don't need to be home anymore. And I'm not so anxious. Maybe it's time I uh, got back out because she felt good enough to do so. That's astounding. I mean, to go from being home ridden to, uh, you know, considering back to a normal life. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, hmm. to put myself in a situation like that, if I found that I couldn't leave, you know, the home because I was in either so much pain or just debilitated or whatever, it would just continue to push me deeper and deeper into, you know, dark places. So it does. And people end up not coming back from that sometimes. Wow. Well, why don't we, I mean, this is all great awesome information. You know, I'd like to, you know, of course we'll keep the audience up to date on how Mikey's doing through this here as well, but I'd like to also, you know, throw a little bit of a status in there every so often on um, how things are going with me as well, because I think as, as an adult, and I look at Heather in this regard too, and let her know, honey, you've got to like, go, go get a manicure, pedicure, go get a massage, go to the gym, go somewhere, like just go shop or like go walk around the mall or, you know, there, there are when you think about having three neurotypical children alone, that's a lot, that's a heavy lift. But then when you add in a, a challenge, um, it just, it starts to drain you a whole lot faster. So I keep letting her know that, you know, since I work out of the house and sometimes find myself away from home, you know, during the week, I, I stress to her when I'm around that she's more important because she's the part that keeps care of them. Right. So. Anyway, to, to kind of tie all that up there too, I'm going to be a little bit of a test bed. And, uh, and so that Heather, you know, I've said this before, you know, she's the angel. I'm, I'm pretty much the devil in the house. Right. So if, if we can sort some things out with me and, and I can keep some of, of my behaviors in check or, you know, find that I don't need to react the way that I do sometimes here as well, I'm pretty sure that'll push her over the edge into, you know, getting her brain mapped and starting some therapy to her. Yeah. Therapy brain. as well. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, is there anything you'd like to add? I know that there's some resources at the end of your book. Would you like to talk about those real quick? Well, you mentioned one of them in the introduction. Uh, The one I would point out the most is the BCIA, Biofeedback Certification International Alliance. (laughs) These guys need to work on their names. (laughs) (laughs) We need a few more acronyms. Yeah, whatever. BCIA, (laughs) the, the value of that is they have a provider list. That's the certification arm for the Applied Association of Applied Psychology and Physiology and for neurofeedback providers. The two different groups use the same certification board, if you will. Uh, Anyway, so if somebody wants to find a neurofeedback provider and wherever they're at, they can go to that bcia.org and look for under find a provider and put in their state and and it'll give you all the list of certified providers in their area. All of these links and resources we're going to have in the show notes on the site and we'll, we'll make sure that everybody can get to them too. So. Okay. And if you want to and research, you said. Research would be the international society of neurofeedback and research. They got a bunch of stuff on there and on my site, the Carlton neurofeedback center.com under the research one, there's about a half a dozen really good articles that aren't quite, they're very challenging to read. They're boring as heck, but they're <laughs> summarized pretty well. We've got some summarized, uh, summarize of the things what they found on the page itself if you look say okay this makes sense you don't have to read the entire article but on my site there's a few there too okay wonderful if people want to look further and the book itself which you mentioned is uh it's for free you've got it on your own site and it's downloadable on mine also they can buy a hard copy it's seven or eight bucks i don't know but you can download it for free from the site so that's what i put it there for perfect well i recommend you guys checking that out also 
you know, listening to a bit of Dr. Carlton's story is there on his site too. So when you come over to findingmikey.com slash the answer, you'll be directed straight to that page where you can see the good doctor who we're talking to today and and uh, get access to this book. It's really a really good book. So thank you for putting that together. Um, also, thank you so much again for being on here. I think this is this is certainly eye opening for our family. And um, I, I'll be seeing you tomorrow. I've got an appointment for my brain map tomorrow. Marvelous. All right, Mike. I'll see you then. Thank you. Have a great day. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you. Thank you.